if you can't cast a spell, at least cast a ballot. And honestly, if you can do both, do both. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for voters. I think we ought to elect a leader, said Hermione. Harry's leader, said Cho at once, looking at Hermione as though she were mad, and Harry's stomach did yet another backflip. Yes, but I think we ought to vote on it properly, said Hermione unperturbed. It makes it formal, and it gives him authority. So, everyone who thinks Harry ought to be our leader... Everybody put up their hands, even Zachariah Smith, though he did it very half-heartedly. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And we're not doing any chapters on this particular episode. But there will be a regular book club episode later this week. In the meantime, it's a big week if you're American. If you're not, hopefully this is still somewhat interesting to you, but it is not as immediately relevant in other countries. It's election week, y'all. The midterms are this Tuesday, November 6th, and we are hoping with all our might that those of you who can are gonna get your butts out there and vote. And maybe some of you already have. A lot of states have early voting or vote by mail. It ruled when we lived in Arizona and could vote by mail. (laughs) That is no longer the case. Yeah, we're not gonna get all polemical on you, but this is your Quibbler PSA reminder. Get out and vote. It feels good, and it's a good thing to do. And uh, yeah, Hermione would vote, and so should you. I vote because a lot of people around the world can't. And there's a reason they can't. Uh, If voting didn't matter, lots of governments wouldn't be trying to make it as hard as possible and or impossible to to do. So I vote because it's important. I vote because I have a lot of opinions. (laughs) And it is one of the most important and fundamental ways as a citizen of this country to make my opinions known and to practice what my deeply held beliefs are and because I want to have a say in shit and I'm very privileged to in some way have that be true. There's imperfections, it's complicated, but Alex is right throughout a lot of our own history, many and or most Americans have either not been allowed to vote or have been de facto blocked from it. Many still are. There are huge swaths of disenfranchisement in this country for a variety of fucking nefarious reasons. But if you're able and you want to participate in one of the most important midterm elections in I would say a really long time, just, you know, go fucking stand in line and we're gonna give you something to listen to while you do it. Let's talk about what government looks like in the wizarding world so far as we understand it. Because J.K. Rowling claims that there are elections. Yeah, she says, Potter. so Pottermore says that the Minister of Magic is directly elected, which, are there any evidence of elections in the wizarding world? Yeah. Like, no, it's never mentioned. There is no concrete evidence that this is true And there is, in fact, evidence to the contrary because in the beginning of Half-Blood Prince, which is the book we're on right now, they just quote-unquote sack Cornelius Fudge. Yeah, he says, I got sacked, not I was voted out, 
I was impeached. I was fired. Which doesn't make any sense in the context of a democracy. And then Scrimgeour is just installed. There's no special election held to replace Cornelius Fudge. And there are very political conversations that happen around dinner tables in this book. And no one ever says, oh, who are you voting for for minister in the next election? You know, like... Arthur Weasley's like, ah, you know, I have a lot of problems with Fudge. He's not a perfect candidate, but I don't want to vote for Malfoy because, I mean, that's a... Well, that's the other thing. There's all this talk about how Lucius Malfoy has all this sort of political clout, but I can't really tell what it's clout in. It's not like he's giving to, like, elections or re-elections. There doesn't seem to be a legislature of any sort that he's attempting to influence. It's just one-on-one with the Minister of Magic, who seems to be fairly arbitrarily and secretively appointed, so far as I can tell. Well, Rowling says there are elections. But she's... But we see no evidence of it. I I don't know. Seems like it was kind of, like, retconned into this. I don't know. It's weird we don't see how more of this works, since we see so much... Of the, like, magic bureaucracy? Well, there are multiple transitions of power in the latter half of this series, none of which are democratic. Scrimger is not elected. Scrimger sounds like he's installed by the Aurors. This is a soft coup, (laughs) so far as I'm concerned. Basically, Scrimger is installed by the deep state (laughs) and is, like, in with the sort of, like, defense industry. I mean, it has that feeling, right? Like, the Aurors went to Fudge and said, hey, man, you gotta step down because, like, your government's lost its legitimacy. But, I, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know by what mechanism Scrimgeour is installed. Well, it also doesn't sound like Fudge steps down. Oh, yeah, he, he says he was fired. He doesn't say he resigned. <laughs> he says he was fired, which gives me pause because it's like, who has the authority to fire an executive? Where is the wizard parliament? That's the other thing. There is no lawmaking body. So well, that, this is... If, if it was mirrored on the UK, he would be the leader of a party in, like, the magical parliament. And, like, someone would have called for a no-confidence vote after the whole shit went down at the ministry. And, you know, then there would have been a new round of elections or however... You know, I'm not, I'm not an expert in, like, the Westminster system, but... Well, that's yeah, how, but yeah, that's how it would have worked. Say, that's yeah. not what happened. No. And... We've already talked about this, but Mr. Weasley seems to just write laws. (laughs) And I don't know who ratifies them. I mean, this just seems like a bottleneck in general. Because the thing about a legislature is you can kind of like funnel the number of laws that are actually important and relevant through this lawmaking body. So anybody can propose one, but like it's a fairly limited number that get through. So does everybody's wild idea for a new law in every sort of like office of this government just end up on Cornelius's Fudge's desk. And he just signs it? That's a bonkers amount of work <laughs> for him to have to do. I guess he could probably enchant his pen to just like machine pen sign it like they have in the White House. Yeah, but then he's not reading all the laws that get made. Yeah, but I mean... Legislators propose laws all the time that, like, die in committee because they're bad ideas. Right. Is what I'm saying. Oh, so, so there's yeah. no, like, there's no process by which a bunch of other people say, like, I don't really think we need this law. <laughs> so if 
Fog someday... just has this, like, infinite veto. That's the other thing. I mean, like, our president can veto stuff, but it's just, like, the stuff that's getting to him has already been vetted by someone. There doesn't seem to be any vetting process for some random undersecretary of something to just <laughs> write a law and give it directly to the minister. I guess we sort of have an equivalent to that in the United States because a lot of these cabinet agencies are empowered with, like, have the ability to do, like, a certain amount of administrative rulemaking to, like, a certain extent, which is, like, kind of in this weird gray area and... You know, it's sort of controversial, but yeah. I, yeah, I, I guess this is, that is more what these rules you know, are like. But, but the agencies were empowered at some point with like that rulemaking like ability by a legislative body. Like the EPA can make tweaks in how it like goes about enforcing its mandate, like to a certain extent. But its mandate is. Comes from the Congress. Is in law. Right. So I don't know. There's clearly no, like, legislative oversight over this sprawling wizard bureaucracy. Like, no one's holding any, like, committee hearings. There's, like, a truly <laughs> wild lack of accountability. I, I'm thinking, oh, man. Like, after the whole Goblet of Fire bullshit, there should be, like, a massive, like, congressional investigation of how it was that a Death Eater was able to like, swap the Triwizard Trophy with, like, a port key, or, like, the whole fucking shenanigans at the Quidditch World Cup. I guess it makes sense that Fudge, like, buried any inquiry into what happened at the Triwizard Tournament because he's, like, clamping down on dissent or whatever, but I, I, I don't know. There doesn't but seem to be a lot of independent oversight. It was the fault of members of the ministry that it right. happened. There mm-hmm. was ministry oversight that just totally failed (laughs) and no one is held accountable for that i mean barty crouch senior is held accountable by virtue of the fact that his son kills him (laughs) for being an idiot enough not to like see this all happening but that's not a reasonable way for him to have been dealt with he should have had to face his peers and he shouldn't have died that's awful the wizards wizards need a legislature right and wizards need to vote there just doesn't seem to be any way that wizards like have a legitimate say in their government doesn't seem like it at all no and everything is just sort of happening to them and so people are always like complaining about the ministry and the only check i mean this is interesting to me the only real check on the ministry of magic seems to be the press yeah frankly i guess they have the gamut, which is like it seems like legislative and judicial, so maybe they're the ones that install the minister. Well, that seems like a bad idea, too. To have a joint legislative and judicial branch of government. Right. Yeah. That's just different skills. But, I mean, I don't know if they're... Are they elected? Because... No, they seem appointed. Yeah, Dumbledore is just expelled randomly from the gamut. Well, also think about how if you're the legislative and the judicial body of a government, you're always going to uphold your own laws. Right. Sorry about the sirens that are constantly going off in this, like, more than normal in this episode. It is New York City Marathon Day, so there's a lot of traffic situations. Yeah, the city is very loud today. And the marathon route goes, like, a block from our apartment, so it's just 
really noisy. But and for the sake of democracy, we're recording. And also, the New York City Marathon is awesome, so we, <laughs> we can't blame them. All right, so to clear up some of our questions, I don't always like to go to Pottermore because, you know, we've been over this. Like, stuff should be apparent in the text. But in this case, but like... But in this case, let's go even deeper into the mind of J.K. Rowling to find out what the fuck she was thinking with the Minister of Magic. So, Pottermore tells us that... The Minister for Magic is democratically elected, although, quote, there have been times of crisis in which the post has simply been offered to an individual without a public vote. But unquote. offered by whom? I know! That what? doesn't... That, just, the <laughs> passive voice there hides a lot of sins. Uh, Who yeah, it does. The post? Well, that's very Orwell. Yeah! <laughs> there is no fixed limit... Okay, these are truly wild sirens. I know. There is no fixed limit to a minister's term of office, but he or she is obliged to hold regular elections at a maximum interval of seven years. Ministers for Magic tend to last much longer than Muggle ministers. Generally speaking, and despite many a moan and grumble, their community is behind them in a way that is rarely seen in the Muggle world. Again, says whom? Obliged to hold elections. <laughs> Again, like, do they have a constitution? Like, where is this all written out? Also, the Wizengamot is, in fact, we looked this up as well, it is both the judiciary and the legislative like quasi-parliamentary. But it seems like most of the power is vested in the executive. This seems ripe for dictatorship, which clearly fucking happens in Deathly Hallows when pious thickness is installed, which you would think everyone would be like, what the fuck? You can't just put in a new a new minister for magic like higgledy-piggledy, but apparently you can. Apparently there's nothing necessarily illegal about someone just making someone the minister for magic. Right, and so that's one of those things where in this <laughs> moment between the transfer of power between Cornelius Fudge and Rufus Grimger, you're laying the groundwork for the Death Eater take over the ministry. Breaking those norms is like how this shit gets started. You are setting a new norm for how power gets transferred and right, you should so have just held an election. Yeah, so it's not as big a deal when pious thickness comes in because they were already like, all right, Fudge, you're out. This fucking defense hog is now in. And then, He's going to, like, fix it. Once again, who the fuck is they? I don't know who they is. It seems like the Aurors were responsible for putting Scrimgeour in, so that's a fucking problem. Whenever, like, the Praetorian Guard gets involved in politics, that is, uh, that's not a great sign for the health of your democracy. You use that phrase a lot, and forgive my ignorance, but what the fuck is a Praetorian Guard? So the Praetorian Guard were basically the elite bodyguard of the Roman emperors, and during various, like, succession crises, they would insert themselves into, like, imperial politics and occasionally, like, name a new emperor if they had a candidate that they liked better than whoever was next in line to become oh. emperor. So yeah, this is like what's actually happening. Yeah, so they're kind of like, the Praetorian Guard would like pull off these like military juntas like every now and then in ancient Rome. Okay, interesting. Well, anyway, I don't think that despite what Pottermore says, I often think Pottermore is not reading the actual books that it's about very closely. <laughs> Because there is zero textual evidence that any of this is true, except the exception 
And who voted for Cornelius Fudge? Everybody seems to hate him. Well, they haven't had an election for like maybe seven years, it seems like. That's true. The other thing is there are no political parties. Right, which is kind of strange. It's like there's everyone and then the fascists who <laughs> aren't really a party. They're like a weird faction. The, the Yeah, like the purebloods, the Slytherin types. Slytherin alumni <laughs> represent like... So the major political interest. So would the parties be sort of like Slytherin and like everyone else? Like certainly different parts of wizarding society have different interests that aren't just good versus evil. I mean, the politics definitely seem like split cleanly along, I guess, what you would describe as ethnic lines. In which the is a world, really bad way. Which for that's a problem. Yeah, that's function. not good, as we are learning. It does seem like there's the kind of like people that are really into like pure bloodism, and Fudge seems like sort of a compromise candidate because I guess I would describe him as a compassionate conservative. The allegory doesn't really hold up, but Fudge seems to recognize a need to like reconcile these various differences in the wizarding world and accommodate for like Muggleborns and half-bloods in some way while also preserving the privileges and status of pure bloods. That, that pure bloods have like always enjoyed and the fact that he can't really like he's not able to straddle that or right, like walk that fine falls. line for like very within the face of like Voldemort coming up and like offering the pure bloods like what they just actually want well fudge is a pretty weak leader in a time of actual crisis but he makes sense as, yeah, sort of a consensus candidate post-Wizarding War. Right, because he can get down with the Malfoys, but also... So he is like a good He's on good terms with like Dumbledore and t- characters like that. Like Dumbledore's not like his buddy, but, you know, he like respects and consults Dumbledore, so... But he's also clearly... He also seems pretty blatantly corrupt. He definitely allows... Lucius Malfoy to curry favor with him via, I think, donations. Yeah, to like St. Mungo's. Yeah, but I think we're given to understand that it's more than that. Like, Lucius has like a direct line to the Minister of Magic by virtue of his like... Funding his campaigns? Well, that's the thing. What is he funding? There's no campaigns. Right. Or is he just bribing Like, there's no wizard electioneering. I... Don't understand, yeah, his sort of, like, influence currying, I don't get the mechanism unless he's just straight up bribing people. I guess he could be, like, a quote-unquote, like, philanthropist of the wizarding world, which gets you a certain kind of access. I think we're meant to understand that the Malfoys, like, pretend to be kind of, like, public-minded... But they citizens don't. who are like no, because they're all they make big donations to like the big wizarding yeah, nonprofits. They're very, very clear about their politics. Right. They don't pretend that they want to serve all wizards. Well, I mean, the fucking Koch brothers like fund the New York City Ballet or whatever. That's like true. it's called. Is the building named after them? No, it's not. The theater is. Yeah, like the fucking theater is like the David H. Koch Theater, and they have like, you know, they have a political agenda that doesn't necessarily match up with like a lot of 
people that attend the New York City Ballet. Right, but they're not going to the President of the United States and being like, hey, I gave to the ballet, so you should vote for this thing. Yeah, I don't There's know. There's not like a one-to-one right, yeah. one there. It's more of a public relations, and you know, I think they genuinely see themselves as patrons of the arts. Well. Which maybe the Malfoys do as well. Well, this is a whole other conversation, but the Wizards don't have the arts. <laughs> So there's not a hell of a lot to be patrons of in the just the hospital, world just the hospital because they have no institutions other than government, virtually right, including no sort of like venerable artistic endeavors. Like there's no wizard opera. These books are so political. Which sorry, they just are. Yeah, uh, if you don't, <laughs> like, I'm so fucking sick of that pushback. Like, oh, leave politics out of it. These are political books. So these books... These are books literally about a fucking political struggle. A huge, <laughs> huge, huge central set of plots in these books are about the actual fucking government. If you don't think they're political, I'm sorry, you're not reading closely. It's not that they're about our politics. Right. That is different than saying that they are not political novels. They are about wizarding conflicts that are inherently political yeah well anyway what i was gonna say for being very political books there aren't any elections that's so weird well i mean and that's very sort of like america centric or like that's very how our thinking about politics is that's true because we're very focused on like electoral politics are the most important kind of or like not the most important. Electoral politics are the most visible kind of politics in our lives. But it does present itself as a democratic system or like a representative system in some way with no evidence that that's in fact the case. And wizards don't seem to really have a voice. And it doesn't fucking work. It's totally broken. I mean, fuck, American democracy is pretty broken. But regardless, go vote. You still gotta try. You do have you to You gotta try. try. And vote. Because wizards can't. <laughs> that is an extremely good thesis for <laughs> this episode. So we hope you enjoyed this rambling little discussion about wizarding non-democracy, wizarding mm-hmm. politics in general. Well, and I- we hope that you are now at the front of the line at your polling place and about to do your civic duty and yeah. participate in a flawed but vibrant moment in American history. I couldn't have said it better myself. Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero are the poll workers at our local Brooklyn polling place who are really helpful. Seems like a long day. You're just asking people their addresses over and over and over and it's like really contributes in a very concrete way to people being able to exercise this very fundamental right. Yeah, it makes the system work. My unsung heroes are all our wonderful, engaged Quibbler listeners who have been participating in, like, our political process over the last few yeah, months. Yeah, y'all know. are out here canvassing and knocking on doors and making calls and just, like, doing what you're supposed to do to contribute. Yeah. And, I mean, you guys have a pretty good sense of our politics, but honestly, this is not really about that. This is just, like, it's a big moment you have a way to have your voice heard so like make it heard i also think everybody should vote yeah tweet your photos of yourself with your i voted stickers and uh we'll be very excited to see them yeah we'll fave and retweet that so um vote 
amigos. My dear Prime Minister, you can't honestly think I'm still Minister of Magic after all this. I was sacked three days ago. The whole visiting community has been screaming for my resignation for a fortnight. I've never known them so united in my whole term of office. <laughs> <laughs>